Attention, all troops. She's alive. Alive. Welcome to the Rockerless. When I was younger, and my friends and I would find something we liked, say like a TV show or movie like Alien Nation, we would often get so enthusiastic about it that we would try to do more with it than was available to us. When we were very little, it meant that we would play Star Wars. We would pretend we were Luke Skywalker and Han Solo, and we would play around as those characters. As we got older, role-playing games took over, and more than a few times, we would try to adapt things that we saw into a role-playing game, usually just trying to use the existing gaming systems that we had. One of the things I attempted to do, and my friends weren't really into it, was to translate Alien Nation, not the movie one, the TV show one, into a role-playing game. And I did this because I was really into it and I saw potential as a sort of cop mystery adventure game that we could play. The logic as to what system you would base the game off of often came down to what was being played at the time. And at the time we were playing a Western style role-playing game called Desperados, which was released by Sky Castle Games. We had just gotten it and it was one booklet, very thin, and I thought the rule system was really simple and straightforward and mostly combat-based in terms of gunplay would work really well to be an Alien Nation RPG. I probably spent about a month working on some rule changes, making the newcomers their own thing, giving them abilities based on that, and then coming up with a couple of ideas on how we would handle police work. Then I came up with an adventure that was not so loosely based on the plot of the movie and gathered the players together to play. This sort of gaming had happened many times over the years, and the results of them were almost always the same. Single session, and then everybody was done. Nobody wanted to play it anymore. This was no different. Still, the time that I spent more deeply involved in the Alien Nation world and fantasizing about the game and the stories was, for me, time well spent. It was a time before internet discussions and fan fiction and even access to the show to rewatch it. And so it helped to reinforce my fandom for the show and for the world. Sadly, one that I could not translate into a game that was worth playing. I often wonder if I tried to do it now, would I be any better at it? I'm not sure, but even if I wasn't, I wouldn't regret the time that I invested in it. On today's show, I'd like to talk to you about a TV show that I put about a month of my free time into trying to turn it into a role-playing game, Alien Nation. We'll talk about the people in front of and behind the camera. We'll talk about the plot, the changes from the movie, the music, the merchandise. Meta Girl's back with a top five list, so this should be a really fun episode. This is part two of my Alien Nation coverage. I did one on the movie right before this, so if you haven't listened to that, I think it would be helpful if you did before listening to this one, although I think you might enjoy this one even as a standalone. We have an info-packed episode ahead of us, so without further ado, let's start the show.
Alien Nation is a sci-fi police procedural drama. It starred Gary Graham as Detective Matthew Sykes and Eric Pierpont as his partner, the alien newcomer Sam George Francisco. So I'm going to start off by reading the plot of the show from the box set. This was released on DVD. As newcomers, fugitive slaves from the planet Tenkton, Detective George Francisco and his family face prejudice and intolerance as they struggle to assimilate to life on their adopted planet. Together with his human partner, hard-edged Detective Matt Sykes, George walks the beat in Slagtown, Los Angeles, a newcomer slum teeming with vice and corruption. More than just another cop show or science fiction show, Alien Nation utilizes a unique and exciting blend of action, suspense, humor, and social drama to explore the sociology of what it means to be an outsider striving to fit in. It's a six-disc set, all 22 episodes, including the double-length series premiere, and then episode commentary by director Kenneth Johnson, and a behind-the-scenes featurette are included. It's a pretty good description. If you're not familiar with Alien Nation, the series is set in the United States in the 90s. A flying saucer has crashed in the Mojave Desert, and there is a race of extraterrestrials, the Tenktonese, and there was 250,000 of them, and they had been enslaved by an overseer race. They are humanoid. They look very much like humans, although they don't have hair. Instead, they have this inflated cranium with spots on it. They basically, like a lot of people, become immigrants in the United States. And a lot of the episodes of the show, or at least plots in episodes, revolve around these stories. While a lot of the show is police procedural, meaning you have these two partners and they're just solving crimes going through a process and you get to see that, there's a lot of morality stories being featured in it. Things around the immigrant experience like bigotry, racism, where the newcomers are the stand-in for people going through the immigrant experience in the United States. And I believe that that is something that most people moving between countries would relate to. Some of the more fun parts are how they try to adapt to humanity, yet they still have major differences. Things they eat, things they can't deal with, like salt water. And also they have culture and religion that's different. And they're trying to figure out how much of it they should adhere to, what might change. These are things they definitely could not have done in the short movie that they did, but that get fleshed out relatively quickly in the TV series. And it is amazing that in a short show, they're able to put in as much mythology as they did. But if you wanted another way of summarizing it, the intro to the show itself is a summary. And it starts with narration by Charles Howerton. Let's give that a listen. That was the scene in California's Mojave Desert five years ago. Our historic first view of the newcomer's ship. Theirs was a slave ship carrying a quarter million beings bred to adapt and labor in any environment. But they've washed ashore on Earth with no way to get back to where they came from. And in the last five years, the newcomers have become the latest addition to the population of Los Angeles. That voice was of Charles Howerton, born in 1938. He's an American actor. He was a student of Dawes Butler, very famous voice talent, and would contribute work to G.I. Joe, The Rise of Cobra, The Iron Giant. He also had a film and television career outside of that. Trying to give them the right to vote. <laughs> One nation under God. Freedom! 
this world. Your new neighbors come from three billion miles away. Your new classmates learn twice as fast as you. Your new partner gets drunk on sour milk. It's a good week. Welcome to America 1995. Alien Nation premieres Monday. There is a large cast, so I'll just try to stick to some of the more major characters. So let's start with Detective Matthew Matt Sykes, played by Gary Graham. He is the human partner of George Francisco. Sykes is coming to grips with what it means to be a partner with a newcomer. And he starts off pretty cynical, but slowly starts to realize his own shortcomings and realizes that the way he had been treating newcomers, even though he didn't see it as bad as some other people's, was an unfair thing to do. So he grows during the show. Gary Graham was born in 1950. He's an actor, musician, probably best known as a long-term role for the TV show Alien Nation because there's not only the show but the movies that would follow. But then he would also work on Star Trek as the recurring character Ambassador Soval on Star Trek Enterprise. He was also in an episode of Star Trek Voyager playing an Ocampan community leader. So a big Star Trek connection. He almost twice Got a more major role in Star Trek. He was up for the role of Captain Sisko on Star Trek Deep Space Nine and the role of Captain Janeway on Star Trek Voyager. Didn't make it, but it still landed a couple of roles in Star Trek. Detective George Francisco was played by Eric Pierpont. George is a good cop trying to do a very difficult job entering the police force when newcomers aren't very welcome. And he's dealing with racism and adapting, trying to be a good example, but at the same time feeling a lot of the same pains that anyone who's in law enforcement might feel. And I think Eric Pierpont does a great job in the role. Pierpont was born in 1950. He also had some guest roles on Star Trek, appearing in five separate guest roles on four Star Trek spinoff series. For more modern audiences, you might recognize him for his role on the TV show Parks and Recreation, where he played the police chief. Suzanne Francisco, which is fun to say, San Francisco, was played by Michelle Scarabelli. She is George's wife, who works in advertising. Scarabelli was born in 1955, best known to most people for her role in Alien Nation, but worked in TV shows like Dallas, Supernatural, and even had a role on Superman and Lois on The CW. Buck Francisco is played by Sean Six. This is one of George and Susan's kids. They also have a daughter. Sean Six started as a child actor in theater, and most people are going to know him for his role on Alien Nation. It's also the same with his daughter, Emily, played by Lauren Woodland, born in 1977. She retired from acting and would enter the field of law. So if you look online, you can look up Lauren Woodland and see her law career. Uncle Mudry, the eccentric uncle of the family, was played by James Green. James Green was born in 1926. He passed away in 2018. Had a lot of television and film roles. In addition to working on Alien Nation, he worked on The Days and Nights of Molly Dodd. And to modern audiences, you might recognize him as Councilman Fielding Milton. So Councilman Milton on the TV show Parks and Recreation. So in addition to a Star Trek connection that's going on in Alien Nation, you also have two fairly major recurring characters from Parks and Recreation. Finally, Kathy Frankel, played by Terry Treese, is Matt's neighbor and eventual girlfriend on the show. This is the show she's best known for, but worked in some pretty big movies like All That Jazz and The Fabulous Baker Boys. 
on TV. She appeared in things like Crazy Like a Fox, The A-Team, Murphy Brown, Roseanne, and Knight Rider. Rounding out the cast, you had Jeff Marcus as Albert Einstein, Ron Fassler as Captain Grazer, and Lawrence Hilton Jacobs as Sergeant Dobbs. The show is based on the film, and the characters on the show are credited to the creator of the film, and that is Rockney S. O'Bannon. He's a writer, screenwriter, producer, created a couple of pretty well-known TV shows on television, Alien Nation, Farscape, Sequest, Defiance, and Cult, would make his writing debut in the 80s on things like Twilight Zone, really talented writer and producer, so it was really good that he created these characters because they become a really fine television show. But he did not develop the TV show. That fell to Kenneth Culver Johnson, born in 1942. He is a screenwriter and producer, known as not only the creator of this show, but worked on V, The Bionic Woman, and The Incredible Hulk. So quite a lot of good stuff. In an interview that Johnson gave, he said he was approached to do Alien Nation because of his work on those other series. When approached to do so, he rented the film and was very unimpressed. He didn't like the police procedural stuff, kind of left him flat, I guess. But he did like the scene where George leaves his suburban house and goes to work. That was different than what he expected and also what the network expected. They wanted a science fiction version of Lethal Weapon, but what he wanted to do was something that had social commentary. The idea of what happens when a marginalized people appear in a short period of time, and they're a huge portion of the population in an area. How does that affect things, and how does that affect them? And the network bought it. So there are some differences between the movie and the TV show, as you might hear. And if you have watched the movie or listened to the podcast I did on it, you'll know right away that, first of all, the actors are different. James Caan played the Matthew Sykes role in the film, and Mandy Patinkin played the San Francisco role in the film, and Eric Pierpont plays them in the series. It's interesting, they changed the spelling of Matthew Sykes in the movie and TV version, which I didn't realize at the time. They sound the same, but until you're looking at the names online and you realize that it's Sykes, S-I-K-E-S, versus Sykes, S-Y-K-E-S. I wonder why they did that. You obviously get more of the Tanktonese culture in the TV show because they have time to explore it. So that's a huge thing in the difference. They have to really be about the police procedural in the movie, which I like. But they get to go much further with all the stuff we learn about the newcomers in the TV show. They change the Francisco family in the TV show. In the movie, he has a wife named Susan and a son, George Jr. The TV series... Susan is still the wife, but the son is now Buck, and they also add the daughter Emily. Eventually, they would add another daughter, Vesna. One of the things I had hoped that they would do when they had the opportunity to do so in the TV show is change something that really bothered me, which was the whole ocean thing. If you haven't seen the show or the movie, newcomers do not like to go into the ocean because salt water can kill them. It's like acid to them. It's kind of clever, maybe a little cutesy in some way, writing that in because Earth is covered in salt water. And so while the planet is hospitable to them in some way, it's also incredibly dangerous if they go near the ocean. What that doesn't pay attention to is the sort of logic of salt and salty liquid being everywhere in this world in lots of different things. And we're not sure where the exposure level will hurt them or not hurt them. Because I think the acid reaction you see when someone gets 
salt water on them is so dramatic that even a minor amount of salty liquid would bother them, and yet that seems to get glossed over. They kind of try to fix this with Uncle Mudri realizing that you can overcome this saltwater issue. I guess you can kind of evolve out of it by force of will. It's a strange early episode where he just walks into the ocean through sheer power of the mind. It doesn't hurt him at all. It's odd. Maybe that was going to be something that would go on as the show went on and they would slowly phase out the saltwater thing, but I don't know why. It just is a logic thing that bothered me. If they have some soup that has salt in it by mistake, does that hurt them? I just don't know. But instead they decide to up the ante on what the Newcomers eat as their big difference a lot. They love to play with that. They eat like goose innards and of course they drink sour milk, which they can get drunk off of because it's fermented. They do a lot with that for laughs, but it kept that salt water thing on. I just think that it would have been better to get rid of it. Fun fact I learned is that because the Tengtonese language is used a lot more in the TV show, they needed to expand upon it. The original alphabet in the movie was created by Joe Hawthorne, who worked in the Fox Art Department and is based on Pittman shorthand, which has a look of a heartbeat graph. The spoken language that you see in the film was invented by U.S. film school graduate Van Ling, who used a combination of German, Samoan, and Chinese. But in the TV show, Kenneth Johnson and his daughter Juliet worked on the language, and they used a lot of English words that they just spelled backwards or scrambled the syllables to make the language. And you can find a guide to the alphabet, including the printed versus the cursive alphabet, online. Just search Tengtonese alphabet. It's kind of fun. Are you curious what the best episodes of Alien Nation were? Here's Metagirl with the top five episodes of Alien Nation. Five, four, three, two. One. Greetings, retro fans. This is Metagirl bringing you the top five episodes of the sci-fi police procedural TV show, Alien Nation. At number five is season one, episode 11, Chains of Love. Sykes and George investigate a string of murders seemingly tied to a dating service. Multiple newcomer males have turned up with two things in common. They've all dated the same newcomer female with severe facial scars, and they're all dead. It turns out that the scarred woman was using the photo of a beautiful newcomer named Clara Bow as if it were her own in order to get dates. Once on a date, the counterfeit Clara would dope her companion with a drug that would cause him to bond with the first person he saw after taking the tonic, presumably her, so her dating duplicity and her scars would be overlooked by the suitor. George learns that the first person that Clara had dated, who was still alive, was so influenced by the drug that he was compelled to kill anyone he saw with Clara thereafter. The investigation is complicated when one of Clara's hopped up honeys bonds with Sykes in error. Antics ensue as the drugged male newcomer pursues Sykes with romance on his mind. Number four is season one, episode six, The First Cigar. George is in hot water with the IRS, owing a huge tax bill after a misinterpretation of the law. Betsy Ross, a community leader and entrepreneur, is more than happy to help with George's money woes. She mistakenly thinks that he's in her pocket, having previously given him a TV, which he mistook as an earnest gift, but which she intended as a bribe. Pressured by the weight of his debts, George accepts a loan from Betsy, only to discover that not only wasn't she a genuine gift giver, but was the ruthless ringleader of a slagtown drug cartel. In the end, we're comforted to find that crime doesn't pay and Betsy gets her comeuppance. 
Number three is season one, episode 22, Green Eyes. While delving into a series of mysterious newcomer deaths, Sykes and George discover a plot by the National Purist Front to eliminate the entire newcomer population with a lethal bioweapon. Things get problematic when George is promoted above Sykes, putting a strain on their relationship and hampering their ability to effectively investigate the potential genocide. In this, the final episode of Alienation, we're left with several cliffhangers to be resolved in the made-for-TV movies that followed the series. Will George and Sykes' partnership and friendship end? Will the Francisco family make it through intensive care? And most gravely, will the newcomers be wiped out by the purists? At number two is season one, episode seven, The Night of the Screams. Halloween draws near, and in addition to having to deal with human traditions like pumpkin carving, apple bobbing, and fanciful costumes, newcomers must cope with the looming threat of a serial killer who seeks newcomer victims in a manner mirroring a cultural myth that includes chopping off the sufferer's hands in a grisly ritual. George suspects the murders might be linked to the overseers from the slave ships who were known to employ this gruesome practice to keep the slaves subdued, overseers who walk freely in society among their former captives over whom they still feel superior. The real killer is a vigilante broken by the slave's life on a mission to expose injustice. And the number one episode of Alien Nation is season one, episode 10, The Game. George is morose on this day of descent, which marks the fifth anniversary of the newcomers' liberation from slavery with their ship's forced landing on Earth. He is confronted by his past when a deadly Russian roulette-style game once played on the slave ship involving a saltwater cannon resurfaces to plague his people. George struggles with the scars that the game has left. He would have died as an outcome of a merciless match if it had not been for the ship's unexpected landing on Earth. His brother did in fact die at the hands of the grisly game while on the ship. Will the mental wounds left by the contest lead George to murder the man running the present-day barbarous blood sport? And there you have it, the Retroist's top five episodes of the sci-fi detective show, Alien Nation. Until next time, List fans, this has been Metagirl. Thanks, Metagirl. They released the soundtrack on CD and cassette. I have the cassette here. Music from the original television scores of Alien Nation. Music by Steve Dorff, Larry Herbstritt, and David Kurtz. Alien Nation main title by David Kurtz. Lyrics by Kenneth Johnson. Say Crescendo Records release. See inside for details. So, good cassette to have. The highlights of the album are the pieces sung in the alien language Tanktonese. But the whole thing is pretty interesting, but because it's alien, they have these unusual rhythms and interesting choices throughout. If you want the cassette or the CD, the CD is much more affordable than the cassette. I don't think these were very popular at the time. You can also find it streaming online if you're interested in it. Just go to YouTube. So there are multiple people who worked on this. David Kurtz is one of them. Probably best known for his work on soap operas. He worked on The Young and the Restless and The Bold and the Beautiful. He would also work on the film The Big Chill in 1983. He is the one who's credited with the prologue and made title music that I played earlier. 
Steve Dorff is the father of actor Stephen Dorff, who you might have seen in some stuff. He would compose lots of music for TV shows, including Spencer for Hire, Murphy Brown, Growing Pains, Murder, She Wrote, Columbo, and Reba. On films, he worked on things like Tin Cup, Rocky IV, Honky Tonk Man, and Bronco Billy. In addition to working on TV and movies, he also worked on popular songs. I saw online that over 250 artists have recorded his music. Larry Herbstritt was born in 1950, worked on things like Maverick, Bronco Billy, and Blast from the Past. And I found another person who worked on the film, Joseph Harnell, who is credited with just work on the pilot. And this makes sense with Johnson because Harnell, who was born in 1924 and passed away in 2005, worked on The Bionic Woman and The Incredible Hulk, among other things. He is the person who wrote the Lonely Man theme from The Incredible Hulk, which is one of the most iconic TV show themes for me up there. Top 10, easily. The show was released on September 18th, 1989. It would run until May 7th, 1990, so not a long run of the original series. We'll talk about that in a second. But what else was on the night that Alien Nation premiered? I printed out the listing from my area, and on CBS at 8 p.m., you had Major Dad, followed by The People Next Door. At 9 o'clock, you had Murphy Brown. And then 9.30, the famous Teddy Z, 10 o'clock Designing Women, and then at 10.30, Newhart. What a night of comedy on CBS that night. Then on NBC, at 8 o'clock, you had Alf, followed by the Hogan family. And then they had a movie, A Brand New Life, starring Barbara Eden and Don Murray, that ran until 11 o'clock. Now we get over to Fox, which is where Alienation was running. And the season premiere of 21 Jump Street was that night, from 8 to 9. And then from 9 to 11, you had Alienation. Their description of it was... A police detective copes with his new partner, an alien struggling to assimilate into Earth society. On ABC, you had the season premiere of MacGyver at 8, followed by a football game at 9 p.m., the Denver Broncos versus the Buffalo Bills. Kind of a late game. On Channel 11, which is WPIX in my area, you had the 1985 film Life Force playing. That is quite a lot of competition for a new show to premiere. They're up against a football game. Things like Murphy Brown and Designing Women, those were popular shows. And that doesn't even tell you what's on cable at the same time. On HBO, well, maybe not that impressive. They had Man, Woman, and Child. Oh, then on Cinemax, though, Crocodile Dundee 2, something I would watch a lot. And on the movie channel, Tom Hanks in Big. She had quite a lot of choice for a show to premiere up against. And the reviews were mixed. Overall, people seemed to like it. They liked the production values, the writing, even the acting. In my area, I was reading some of the reviews again, and they complained about the message. They thought it was a bit obvious or ham-fisted in its presentation of comparing the newcomers to immigrants. I don't think it's too obvious. I don't know how they could have made it more subtle in any way. It's a direct parallel between immigrant experience and the arrival of the newcomers. I don't know how they could have masked that more to make them happy, but I don't think they handled it all that obviously. But I was a kid watching it, and I'm a fan re-watching it now. Maybe I'm not capable of being as critical as someone who is paid to be a critic. Alien Nation is back. New York Newsday hails it as a remarkable achievement. Alien Nation has landed on the Sci-Fi Channel. Saturday nights at 7. Are you a fan of the Retros Podcast? Do you like more retro stuff? Why not check out the Retros Patreon? 
Go to patreon.com slash retroist. Supporters of the show get bonus episodes, bonus tracks, bonus scans, access to the Retroist Discord, and more. Feel good about yourself and make a difference in the world. Support the Retroist. The show would run for one season from 1989 through 1990, and it was a success at the new Fox network. Unfortunately, there was some problems at Fox. They were not getting the advertising income they hoped, and they would cancel all their dramas for the 90 to 91 season to save money. That's unfortunate because the show ended on a cliffhanger. And so you think, oh, the show is over. We're never going to know how it ends. But because it had developed a fan base pretty quickly, because it's a good show, they would do a set of TV movies that would answer the question of the cliffhanger and continue for years later to forward the Alien Nation universe. There were five television movies that started with the cliffhanger. The first of them, Dark Horizon, picks up right when the TV series left off. It is probably my favorite of the TV movies because it's also very dramatic and movie-like. There's a virus and they have to stop the bad guys because not only are the Tanktonese in danger, but maybe all of humanity. The next one, Body and Soul, talks about interspecies relationships. Kind of a fun idea. Millennium has to do with cults and religion. The Enemy Within is a story about prejudice. And finally, the Adura legacy has to do with extremist movements. What's great about these made-for-TV movies is they have a bigger budget. So you get all of the nice things of the TV series, but things are better looking and the stories are tighter. They would originally release the entire TV series on DVD in 2006, and then they would release the TV movies in 2007. You could buy those only at Best Buy originally, but then they would get a wider release in 2008. When the show came out, they decided they would release some merchandise. FTCC would release Alien Nation trading cards. FTCC would release the Star Trek II Wrath of Khan cards. I think those were the first ones that I had from them. You can find these trading cards online, buy the whole set, relatively inexpensive. They did a series of comic books starting in 1990 and then going through to 1992. Malibu Comics would release 25 comics. Some were four-part series and some single one-shots. They would also release eight novels by various authors over time. So some Alien Nation stuff out there for people who want to extend their fandom. Sadly, you never got to see my role-playing game. In the late 2000s, Sci-Fi announced that they were going to do a new TV series based on Alienation with Tim Minier of Firefly and Angel fame, supposed to be writing it. In 2014, it was announced that that wasn't going to happen. But then a year later, we hear that there's going to be a reboot from Matt Holloway and Art Markham, but nothing ever came of that either. That's unfortunate because this is a great example where the TV show is better than the film. And it's better because it builds on the mythology and goes into greater detail. It doesn't rely on the procedural and buddy cop thing that the film has to lay so heavily into. It is exactly what a TV version of a film should be. You see that more recently with a TV show like Cobra Kai where they pay respect to the original. That is canon. They don't try to reboot it. Instead, they build upon it and do a great job with it. Sadly, just as it was getting good, it was taken away from us. But because of that, it is the perfect show to continue, not to reboot. So if they were going to do an Alien Nation show, 
they could easily pick it up years later with different characters, maybe the originals show up, or we could see the original characters on the edge of retirement, or maybe only one is because the newcomers live a lot longer. So you could have Francisco getting a brand new partner. I would love to see that because alienation effectively held a mirror up to society and it could continue to do so for years in an entertaining way that only a good science fiction show can do. Thanks for listening to the show. For more retro fun, you can drop by the website at retros.com. You can follow me on social media. I'm at Twitter and Mastodon. On Twitter, I'm at twitter.com slash retroist. And on Mastodon, you can find me at retroist at mastodon.social. The music you hear on the show is by Peachy. If you like what you hear, you should follow Peachy on Twitter and Twitch. He's at PeachyPixel8. That's the word Peachy, the word pixel, and the number eight. Thanks to Metagirl for another great top five list. If you like what you hear, you should follow Metagirl on Twitter. She's at Metagirl. That's M-E-T-A-G-R-R-L. Thanks to everybody who's been supporting the show. If you'd like to support the show, you can really help by giving the show a five-star review wherever you download the show or by dropping by Patreon. Supporters of the show get bonus episodes, bonus tracks, and access to the Retroist Discord. It's a great community, and I'd love to see you there. Thanks for listening to the show, and I hope you have a great weekend. Joe, play sick, This has been a retrospective production. Goodbye.